History Lecture 23. I just passed out a, an imperfect, but okay, it's a helpful educational tool, chart of the genealogy of the kings of Israel and Yehuda. And as we know, we've had it so far in our story, we've seen, we've met four kings officially. Shaul and Ishboshes from the, from, from the tribe of Binyamin, but that line died out. Uh, and then the true king, the lasting king, David Amelech, um, and then his children are cited here, but the only one that's of significance is Shlomo. Uh, you'll forgive the anglicized uh, readings of, of the names, but okay. I know, I know. I was going to say Baraki must be in heaven here. The um, Right, and then all the way down. And then Shlomo's son, Rehovam, we're going to meet and talk about in greater depth today. I know, isn't that funny? The anglicization of the name. Okay, I've got goodies for you guys. Here, take, take, take. Um, so I'll tell you what gets very confusing and why these are useful, and please try to hold on to them so we can make reference. We're going to be going back and forth between... Um, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And you'll notice, if you go down this list, the names are sometimes identical, but they're different people. They, they had common names back then. So if you look, for example, you've got, you've got, two, uh, you've got, you've got two Avias. And two Yehoshaphs. Right, two Yehoashes. Right, and so it, it'll be a little confusing keeping track of who's who. Um, again, today we're, the, the nation is about to split apart. The northern kingdom, what we call Mamleches um, Yisrael, the kingdom of Yisrael, Israel in the north, um, will be spearheaded by Yeruvam. Yeruvam, take Aryeh. And, um, and then the various dynasties notice in the north there are lots of kings that span a sometimes a very short time span. They sometimes somewhere in power. The shortest king in power was king for seven days. Who is that? Anybody know? How well do you know your uh, Tanakh? Okay. You have it all in front of you. You could also, you could also, if you didn't remember, you could glance and then be reminded his name is Zimri. And we'll see him soon enough. Uh, but uh, again, I think this is a, a very, very helpful tool to try to keep track of who's who and what's what. Um, notice at one point, about mid-center, you notice the two kingdoms will make an alliance by marriage, something that was very common in the ancient world, an alliance by marriage between Asalia and, Yer and Yehoram, which was a wicked alliance. And we're going to have to try to figure out what were they thinking. Good. That's a common Amer. Then you look at the bottom, another map. I don't. I, I probably should distribute many more maps. You, you're familiar with the geography, so you get a sense. This map, like all maps, we talked about maps before, is imprecise. Do not take it uh, literally, because we don't really know. And not only that, you know, the turf fluctuates. There were times that it was that the northern kingdom was much smaller, and then in, in various battles they conquered land, and then they lost land. So it's not like there was a, this map is accurate on any stretch. It just gives you a rough idea. Remember, we also made the insight on on um, ancient maps. They're not that meaningful because a border is as good as the people defending it. But since you don't have electronic surveillance, and even electronic surveillance in the modern world is not a perfect border, people can get through if they're really dedicated. So too in the ancient world, 
everything is porous. The borders are as good as they, as they last until the next battle, and then the borders shift. But still, at least you can get a sense of the rough area of Yehuda in the south and Yisrael in the north. Plus, importantly, just take a quick glance at the names of the various Mamlachot kingdoms all around, because they're going to be playing something of a role. The Phoenicians, Phoenicians right? The Phoenicians, the Philistines, Plishtim, um, Edom. Edom descends, of course, from Esav, Ammon, Moab, uh, and uh, Aram is going to play a major role, as will Ashur, and later, eventually, Bavel. So that's, that's a little bit about this. Hopefully this clarifies to you. The other uh, learning tool I brought in today is uh, our just, uh, for those of you tired of so many words, I got some pictures, kids. Um, so a little bit of a picture history that I use when I'm guiding out in the field, but uh, I think it's useful. Pictures, as we said, like maps are misleading, pictures are misleading, but okay. There was an artist who gave some uh, pictorial depiction of what, of what it was like. This would be a depiction of the Mishkan in the Midbar, the sanctuary in the desert by Harsinai, presumably, with its portable tinker toy interlocking parts that could be assembled and disassembled at will, and then they, they picked up and they traveled at various intervals. When they came in, much uh, piggybacking on the conversation we had that some of us had that Aaron Ibrahim came in and was asking all about. Remember this little review? When we came to Eretz Israel, where was the Mishkan located for the first how many years? Where was it? Fourteen years in Gilgal, followed by 369 years up in Shiloh. And here's the depiction of Shiloh when we saw the Mishkan suddenly took on a new, different dimension with now stone walls. So there's a feeling of semi-increased permanence because Shiloh is is Elamenucha Velanachala, is the Pasuk in Parshas Re'eh. It's you come into a sense of Menucha, of rest. Finally, Hashem's house, as it were, is finding some semi-permanent stationary location. That was Shiloh for 369 years. There are curtains, Urios, that cover it, a new kind of a rooftop, but otherwise, in many ways, it resembles the Mishkan in the desert. Here's another depiction. I guess that's supposed to be the Kohen Gadol. Oh, this is the Kohen Gadol. Don't take these pictures literally. I'm sure there are flaws and errors in them, but at least it gives, I, I mentioned this yesterday, a great part of Amuna is as best we can, realizing our limitations, try to picture all of these events, to have a detailed imagination in which we can put ourselves as if we were in Shiloh, and we were crossing through, uh, Har we were by Harsina, and we were there by Shlomo Melech's inauguration of the base of Mikdash, so that yeah, we're all Jewish, we're born that way, but do you realize the profound alienation of our generation? People don't feel connected. So one way to feel connected is to learn these things and to put yourself in the picture. It is a thrill, it's been a thrilling, often tragic, but an often very elated time, and we should identify with all of this, good and bad and everything in between, yeah. What did they do with the Mishkan after? After Shiloh was destroyed by the, little review for us, who destroyed Shiloh? The Philistines, the Plish team. So it was um, the pieces that survived were moved to Nov, uh, but that was enough of that uh, for 13 years. After which Shaul came in and slaughtered the Kohanim there. Remember the whole intrigue of Doeg Haedomi we learned, and then it moved to Elon would like this Jib today, Givon for 44 years, 
And at the end of Givon, that's when we recently, so I've got the last couple of days, Shlomo will take the Mishkan, bring it to Yerushalayim. We just talked about this, how he takes the, the elements of the Mishkan that he could use in the base of Mikdash, and he builds them in the base of Mikdash, and the rest he buries in those Mechilos, in those tunnels underneath Harabais, where they are till today, together with a bunch of other good, good uh, fascinating things that I'd love to uncover, uh, including a fiery lion that we're going to meet in a few weeks. Ooh, just wait till the fiery lion. That's all under Harabais till today. So, Rabbi, you think there's a fiery lion under Harabais still there right now? I actually tend to believe that. Yeah, I do. Go ahead. Well, well, what was the point of the Mishkan during the time of David when, when David had the Aron in uh, Jerusalem? In the Aaron, the, but the Mish, yeah, but the one of the reasons why Aaron's questions before, why did the why could why were bamos permitted? Why was it allowed for you to have uh, a, your own altar in your backyard where you could offer sacrifices? Because the Mishkan itself was not complete in Gilgal and in, in, in Novan Givon, where they lacked the Aaron Kodesh, the Holy Ark. So then it wasn't complete. That's why it was a little bit looser. Correct. So it was not, so you could offer your own sacrifice. So the Mishkan was the central address, but not the only address. Then Shlomo builds the base Hamikdash, and here again, just a depiction, reasonable, reasonable with with, with description. I'm not going to go into great uh, detail on this, but this is a depiction of the base Hamikdash, base Hamikdash, which was spellbinding. You would be absolutely captivated. That's why I. I want to picture it, and I think this picture is very helpful towards that end. It's certainly better than nothing, but realize when you look at such a picture, any model or any such uh, depiction, it's going to be limited, and it won't have that wow, awe-inducing effect that it really should have, and it would have had had we stood there ourselves. Here's the Mizbeach with the pillar of uh, fire going straight up, the Yamshel Shlomo, the Boaz Yachin, and this is the Ulam, and the Heichal, and behind here, the Kodesh Kedoshim, the Holy of Holies, in the Dvir, and, and that's Shlomo, that's a depiction. Um, Suli gets good from here. I guess in pictures that um, I've been meaning to bring in and show you, I'm about to finish my pictorial tour, and we're going to get back to our narrative, but I want you to be in this. Yeah, go ahead, Julian. No. That's a good guess. I mean, it was built by someone. You said the, the second base of Megiddash. That's a dominant view in the Rishon. Let me let me let's backtrack. Let's clarify what you just said. The second base Hamikdash, the second base Hamikdash was was initially built in the period of Zerubbabel by the group of people that we refer to loosely as Shivat Zion. It was completed under the under the heading of the Anshik Nesses Gedola, the men of the Great Assembly. That was the first version. It went through various versions and rebuildings, including under Shimon Tzadik. At the, um, at the end of the Persian period, the beginning of the Greek period, again, under the Hashmonaim, a whole renovation took place. There was a desperately needed renovation that took place. And finally, a rebuilding, what you, were, what you mentioned about Herod. Herod commissioned the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash, and that's the one that's so famously rendered in all the pictures and so on of the second temple. It's the basis, for example, of Mesechus Midos. Mesechus Midos is the tractate in the this is the most interesting part. Uh, come on, stay, stay, Daniel, don't let me lose this so quickly. Uh, this is basically what we're talking about here. The, um, and the, uh, the Herodian version is the one that's studied in the Talmud. 
That was destroyed, you're right. The third base of Mikdash will be rebuilt. It'll be more spectacular and significantly, in, in certain ways at least, different than the first two. And according to a dominant view in the Rishonim, Rashi has this view, Tosos have this view, it'll be a prefab. What do I mean? It'll come down miraculously from the heavens. The Rambam has a minority view that humans will build it. That's the minority view. Well, why can't someone just right now, a really wealthy person, there's a place that we'll talk about when we get to the modern era, there's Rosh Hashem later this spring, called the Temple Institute, that is trying to do just that. They, they, and in fact, they, have, um, they, they are loaded now, predominantly, and I think in recent months especially, they've gotten an infusion of money from evangelical Christians, which is money I'm not sure we really want. And I don't know if that's good money to build a base in Mikdash. In any case, it's highly controversial. It's certainly not endorsed by any of the leading posts of the day who say that if we really want to build a base in Mikdash, the first step is to do something that very few are doing, and that's to learn. And with, with a, a great example, and I'm not going to slide into this tangent because we did this once, but uh, I, I usually refer to the holy um, yeshiva called Brisk, not far from here, where they're learning in great depth with Gemara, Rishonim, Aharonim, Gemara, the Shas and Poskim, they're learning Kutshim, the Seder that's more seldom, I mean, less often learned. Uh, and if you really want to show a Kaddish Baruch Hu how eager you are to rebuild this base in Mikdash, learn it, know it, know every detail of this. Quick question, and I'm going to go on with my pictures, and then we're, then we're going to go into our narrative. And Darius the second was the, actually the first person to allow them to be I didn't hear what? Darius? Second? Yeah. Oh, Daryavish. Darius in English, Daryavish in Hebrew. Daryavish. Not really. Not really. You're really thinking of, if you must anglicize it, then Cyrus. Cyrus, who's, who's uh, Korish. Korish. Um, he is the proclamation of Korish permitted them to start the building. It was Daryavish who re. They, it was temporarily. See, we're going to do all this. See, you're ahead of me right now. Okay, here's a model. Oh, it's all endlessly detailed and important, but okay, it's a model of what the base of Mikdash, the floor plan, as it were. Today, I hope to take you to a place where this is a helicopter bird's eye view of the area of the base of Mikdash today, looking front as if we were flying over the base of Mikdash. Surely, Daniel, take a peek. Daniel, head up. Gotta look at the base of Mikdash area. This is as if we're in a helicopter overlooking. This is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Dome of the Rock today, the western wall on the side. And the temple, according to most views, most views uh, confirm that Radvaz's opinion, the base of Mikdash stood right here in the center. Can you picture it? Going over, so this is the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies, and the whole oh, compound of the temple. Is it holy at all? The Kedusha is retained, another topic we'll, so we'll why, talk about. Why it's an excellent question that we don't have the answer to fully. But it's true that somebody who goes there in theory would die and could die, and the Kaddish Baruch Hu has his ways, and we don't understand exactly why they have a building there. They built this building, they completed this building, the Dome of the Rock, actually houses the rock. I'm about to show you some inside pictures of it. But it was, it was, it was built by Abdul Malik. It was completed approximately the year 692 in the Common Era. And it sits in the, in the approximate area of the compound of the base of Mikdash. This building, not to be confused, was built by his son, Walid ibn Abdul Malik. And I really must admit that I um, give this class just in order to permit me to say things like Walid ibn Abdul Malik, which gives me endless pleasure. Um, anyway, um, he built this in the early 8th century. Uh, and it's a mosque. That's a mosque, that's not. Anyway, less important stuff. Yeah. 
golden it one, just gold, it's just been golden recently. It's not, it, historically, it looks more like this. Um, uh, this is a, a view from the eastern side as if we're standing on the Mount of Olives where I do hope to take you, Mizrash Hashem, and we're looking at the area of the Temple Mount uh, sometime in the mid-19th century. Moving along, more views. Again, the Golden Dome was not golden through most of history. There's another view. This is what the Western Wall used to look like. Another view still, you can see the old shul that today is colloquially called the Kurva, which is really the base Yaakov shul, and again the area of Harabais as it stood uh, through the Dorodoros through the generations. I'm going to continue. Let me permit me because this raises all kinds of questions with the Western Wall. There's a little story you can tell, but not for now. Six-day war and everything. Now, quickly, quickly. This is an interior photograph. We can't go in there. Hopefully, it was taken by a goy and not somebody who's high of karis because you can't. A Jew can't go there knowing, knowingly in a state of tuma as we all are, uh, and, and be able to go there. But this is if we're st he's standing up inside the Golden Dome, looking down on what remains of the of the Evan Shasia, of this foundation stone that you recall was the beginning of the creation of the universe. Um, imagine we were going into one of these alcoves on the side. Here's another view. This is actually from the 1850s, taken by somebody from the American colony. Here's the stone again. And let's say you go into one of the alcoves on the side. You can go down these stairs. Uh, and, um, and then the, the stone is so massive, you can go down further to downstairs and see this, the underbelly of the um, Evan Shasia, of the, isn't that amazing, right? Stunning pictures. Uh, of the Evan Shasia, and what's really interesting, <coughs> this is, as if you followed my virtual tour just now, you went, we went, we saw the, uh, the um, from the overhead, view of the rock that's in the Dome of the Rock, the Evan Shasia in our terms, and now you can go downstairs and underneath the underbelly of the rock in a cavern that, that, that now exists under that area in the Dome of the Rock compound. And what's particularly intriguing to me is what exists under these carpets, which is a lattice work and then a bunch of grills and locks and uh, leading to downstairs tunnels and uh, all kinds of goodies down there, including the tunnels that Shlomo himself built that we just referred to, where the elements of the Mishkan presumably still exist still today, as exist the golden, uh, the golden hemorrhoids, and uh, remember from the Pelishkin, the gift of the Pelishkin, and the golden mice, and that fiery lion cub that I will not describe in depth now. Anyway, a lot more to be said, but, I, but I, don't, don't pictures help sometimes? I have a much more of a hands-on hands uh, feeling for, for, for our topic. We'll do more pictures as the, as the year proceeds. Other questions about the pictures, Are you quick? You think that if somebody walked in there and somehow broke their way through all those gates and locks and machines or whatever, made it in the tunnels, they could, like, they could find the stuff, say they brought it back up. There are, there are many, many stories, some of them legendary stories, of people going down and not coming back again, precisely that. I can tell you many such stories, but it's not for now. Tell us that Zach, Zach, is a good uh, party favor for you. Julian? Do all rabbis agree that that's the Holy That's the consensus view. There may be, there's some discussion around this, there may be a different view in the Maharsha. Some attribute the Arizal as saying, giving kashas, they ask kashas because of the location. It seems, according to some, that it should be in a horva, a totally empty area, and that that should be permanent, in which case the existence of the Dome of the Rock as a structure in the area of our temple would be a kasha. So they actually locate the, um, the area of the base of Mikdash itself a little bit south of there, which is more of an open area, or conversely, north of there. 
So I've heard that discussion, but that is overwhelmingly not the consensus view. Most posts just take it as a given the Radvaz's opinion that uh, that the area of the Dome of the Rock today is the area of the Beis HaMikdash. Yeravah was Shlomo's minister. As we met him yesterday, we saw he was a Talmud Chacham on par with, uh, with, with the Navi, the great Navi of the generation, Achia, who came from Shiloh, Achia Shiloni. They learned the Maisim Merkava. Yeravam comes from, hails from Ephraim. And one of his, remember, remember we said that he had a power problem? You know, it was based on a little bit of history. Part of his problem with power was who used to be in charge? Who initially was in charge of Kalal Yisrael when they entered Eretz Yisrael? Uh, Yeshua. Yeshua Benun, who hailed from the tribe of Ephraim himself. And Yeruvim had the feeling, you know, we have to bring Ephraim back to his former glory. Ephraim being the dominant son of Yosef at Tzadik. Yosef, who served as the, as, as the leader of Kalal Yisrael, was a perfect Tzadik. And therefore, it's deserved, it's appropriate to bring back um, Ephraim. And I'm the man to do it. Thought Yeravam. He gathers a thousand people together. And while Shlomo's still alive, you remember how Bathsheba did it? She went in when the king overslept and she rebuked her son in a way that he could hear it. You have to be careful with rebuke. Do you know the subject of Tochacha in Halacha? I'm a poet and I don't know it. Yeah. The, uh, it's, it's, the subject of Tochacha, one of the things, it's a mitzvah, the Arise, it's a Torah mitzvah to give rebuke you got to give rebuke in the right way. Among other things, you can't embarrass a person publicly. You have to say it in terms that they can hear. Obviously, the goal is to be effective. The right, the correctly rendered tochacha is effective. The guy says, oh, okay. I mean, one of you here, actually, um, I recently gave, a, gave feedback and a criticism to, and you took it. I, don't, I hope you know who I'm talking to. You took it beautifully. I'm either like a picture book. You heard what I had to say. Oh, right. That's right. I won't do that anymore. And kol that's the right, that's the white way. It's very hard, by the way, to receive tochacha. So, but Sheva gave tochacha in a way that Shlomo could hear. She was harsh, but she was loving, and she meant well, and Shlomo took it well. Yeruvam is the opposite. Yeruvam teaches us how not to do it. He gathers a thousand men, and in public, which you should never do, you never publicly embarrass anybody, let alone you, uh, you do this to the king of the Jews, a king who we're not supposed to look at as he's getting a haircut, as he's naked in the, in the bathhouse, and he's willing to publicly disgrace the, the, the king. He, he says, he says for, uh, one, one, one thing he, he says, how dare you, Shlomo, for sealing the city gates um, by doing so. He's, this is how Shlomo collected a tax, a toll at the main gate. He said, that way you keep the Jews out. You know, your father, David, he opened them to create an easy public access, as often the Gemara and Sanhedrin. You closed them, Yeravam. And in doing so, he publicly shamed the king. And, and then again, he rebuked Shlomo for not waking. You delayed the Korban Tamid of the, of, of the Jewish people. How dare you? Chazal, when they're critical of Yeravam, are not criticizing the content. content. Shlomo deserved to be criticized. It was the way he went about it that was, that was atrocious. And that's the beginning of the downhill for Yeravam. Barak? Uh, just on Saturday, I heard uh, somebody speaking about, about this Kickstarter. And they said that, uh, that actually Solomon was building a uh, palace for his wives. Yes. And so he actually cut off some of the entrances, not for the taxes, but just... Just to separate just from their separate, wives. Yeah. Correct. That's absolutely, and that's in my notes too on Malachim. 
right, that he did it. He did it just so that they wouldn't be because of their avodah not to have that exposed to the Jewish people. They should be role models. But practically, it had the effect of keeping people out, and it was for that that Yeravim rebuked him. Interesting point. Yeah, if it's a Chil Hashem within, in a public area, and public is defined by a minion by ten men, then then, then it, it's potentially a, 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 yeah, a capital offense. Um, Shlomo took the Tochacha beautifully in a place where he really didn't have to. He really didn't deserve it, and he took it very well. Um, and it was Hashem who rebukes Yeravim for the, correct, for the incorrect approach. He said, you know, Yeravam, buddy, if you had that kind of power, Hashem says, Ein amogo. you would not be able to deal with it. Power is a, um, is a kind of a, of, of a drug. And it's, it's extremely easy to, uh, to lose your bearings in power. And of course, we know it's also very easy to criticize a public, being, uh, public figure. It's much harder to be that public figure and to rise to it and to, to accept the challenges. And for all that we criticize Shlomo, Shlomo really was, in many ways, an exemplary public figure, especially in taking this criticism. After the rebuke, there's a very dramatic scene. It's one of my, uh, one of the like, chilling scenes in history in which Achia Hashiloni himself, the great prophet, meets Yeruvim in a field and he takes a new garment and it's not clear who's wearing it. It's either he's wearing it, according to another reading, Yeravim's wearing it, a little ambiguous in the psukim. And he takes the garment and he tears it into how many pieces? It's very symbolic here, folks. Twelve pieces. And he says, this is what you, because of your event, your actions, Yeravim, you're going to do this to Klal Yisrael. And he presents him with ten of the twelve pieces. Also symbolic and obvious. Um, you however, will rule. You'll be king, as it were. No, nobody's really king except for the house of David, but you'll be called king. And the only reason for that, don't let that get to your, go to your head, Yeravam. The only reason that you're going to be king is because of Hashem's displeasure with Shlomo. Hashem's punishing Shlomo by taking the, 12, the ten tribes away from him, and you're the man to do that, but that's not a reward for you. It's a punishment for Shlomo. Shlomo recognizes insurrection. Do you know to be more in Bemalchus, a person who rebels against the rightful king of the Jews, is Chayev Misa. It's a capital offense. And Shlomo tries to kill Yeravam, and Yeravam runs away. He goes down to Egypt, of all places. To the, the king there is Shishak, the paro is Shishak. Uh, and he stays there all the way until Shlomo's death. And remember that Shlomo died in 52. This is not the Yeah, what's the irony here? Because the whole reason why Shlomo was punished is because he slept the last part. Yeah, and so then your would go down to Egypt. The whole role of Egypt is fascinating here. It's intriguing. This, yeah. What's going on? And don't they know better? They know. As I mean, your was 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 a world class Talmud Chacham, Torah scholar. He knew the prohibition of going down to Egypt, but that's where he went. And uh, he'll stay there. He'll remain a great scholar. He is, uh, he's, he's Achia's great student, Talmud Muvak. Um, even though it's interesting, and I have to pass out another sheet that I owe you, is the list of the Masora that we'll do soon. Um, even though on the Masora, do you know what I mean by the Masora? Are you with me? There's a conduit of the entire tradition, the oral tradition that interprets our written tradition, which is the Torah, that goes from 
Moshe, to Yeshua, to the Skanim, to the Nevim, and in, in enumerating who those Nevim were, who those prophets were. So actually it goes, it goes um, through Eliyahu. Um, Eliyahu was the student who cited as the student of Echiyah and not Yeravah. Well, by the Rambam, it's a machlokis. But by most views, Eliyahu is the next one in line. Uh, even though, even though Yeravim was the was the predominant uh, students of Achia, uh, he's also credited Yeravim. There was Torah that had been forgotten uh, since the days of Moshe, and Yeravim was machsir, returned that Torah that had been forgotten. So he definitely has merits. He's a, he's he's on a very very high level. I'm going to attention for two minutes. I'm going to just sit down. Really? Sorry. I wrote, wake up now. It's not my blood was history class. There you go. Okay. Sorry, no, no, no it's fine. No, I'll start talking and I'll put them out. It's fine. Okay. Um, uh, as follows, guys. I don't know if you know our beloved good friend, Jojo Franco, is unfortunately his grandfather passed away on Friday. And uh, yesterday was the funeral. So what Jews do when a fellow Jew passes away, the best thing they would do for us in the Shema is to learn the Shais. So what we thought would be a great idea to do for two reasons. One for Jojo's grandfather, but two, and probably just almost of the great importance is for Jojo himself. Now we can take upon ourselves we the entire Seder Moed, it's eighty-eight chapters, to divide amongst the entire yeshiva. We have four weeks since the Shlosh ends. Actually, on a Monday, November 24th, we're going to try to finish it by time. If every fellow in Yeshiva can take it upon himself two prokim of Mishnahs, I already have a, a list, a lot of it's filled in. Two prokim, 44 guys, gets us to 88. And it's, it's a tremendous source for Jojo, like, hey, that's what friends and family is for. So if I can give you prokim, unless you don't want to take whatever it is, there's still prokim of Mishab, it's Erevim, Sochim, Shkalim, Yuma, Sukkah, Beitzah, Roshana, Tainz, Megillah, Moed, Kadah, Hagiga. If we can do this as quick as possible, if you have to pass. Could, uh, could, could we pass it around? I suppose not to interrupt you much. Fine. So write your name next to two. If you don't want to write your name next to nothing, you can. I mean, whatever. But at least to try to do at least one if you can. You realize, if, if this was for you, for whatever reason, yeah. but, but if this was for you, how powerful it would be to see everybody's name there in support of you? So, Jake, we have a question to do more than two. The answer is yes, but not right now. In other words, I'd like to give everyone the sus of doing two prokim, but I knew I would have come to if I need more. As I'll pass the out to you. Are you ready to answer? Great. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi Okay, so if you can fill in without, without uh, it'll, it'll come around to you, if you when you need. You want me to bring it to you? Do you have to wait? Oh, great. Fantastic. So we said Yeravim was a huge Talmud Chacham. He'd restored Torah that had been forgotten from Moshe. But okay, his, his, uh, the downside of Yeravim, as we said, his, his downside is one of those kings, the Elam Chelek Olam Haba, was immense, as we're about to see. Now let's, let's meet our other protagonists. If you look at your, uh, the list that I gave you, the genealogy list of the kings, you see that Shlomo had a son named Rechavam. Rechavam is not a bad person per se. He's certainly not his father, he's certainly not his grandfather. Uh, what's that? I mean Rechavam ben Shlomo. Rechavam's the son. Shlomo we just saw died. I don't think you knew that. Is that it to you? And Rechavam is now, rises, 
becomes the next in line. Wait, wait, He's wait, the wait, king. Say that again. You said that he wasn't bad. Oops. Hold on, hold on. It says in the pasuk that under Rechavam, Yehuda did quote rob Ene Hashem, evil in the eyes of Hashem. But that's different than saying that Rechavam is bad. He's flawed. Don't get me wrong. And we're gonna we're gonna reveal that. But it doesn't mean that the man himself was an evil person. He wasn't. And that's, listen, this is terribly important in history because we're learning history as Musr. We're learning to understand how to be better people ourselves. We have to give as close of an appraisal as we can to figure out who, who is this. So it's, it's incorrect for us to say that even with all of his flaws, and they were many and significant, and they had a huge, uh, long-time residual effect on, on, the, on, the, on the history of the Jewish people, but okay, the man himself was a basically good, decent individual. He, his major personal mistake was, like his father, he tried to get rid of the Avodazara in his, in, in his, uh, of his father's wives. He did not do a good job. It was not adequate. His purging was not, did not quite do the job. He didn't even prevent his own wife, a woman by the name of Maacha, uh, from sustaining those practices. Meaning he was not a part of that. He didn't personally serve Avodah just like Shlomo didn't personally uh, were not, was not involved. But his wife was. They had a they had a wife problem back then. Evidently, seriously, that's that's the base in history. They couldn't they couldn't influence their wives. Their wives were out of control. And his wife was the daughter of Absalom. Right, Maha, correct, is the daughter of Absalom. And you remember Absalom with his long hair, the son of David. So it's it's a, it's, it's a family kind of a marriage. And, uh, and, and, and she was influenced and, and kept some of the Avodazar. We're going to hear about Maacha and who gets rid of her finally. Um, the Pasuk in Divra Yomim tells us that he didn't prepare his heart to seek Hashem. All that means, according to most of the Mepharshim, is that he learned Torah. He just didn't do it with enough Zerizus. You know, like it was the kind of thing, let's say it was, the middle, it was like an afternoon shir, he put his head out to go to sleep. Something like that. But he learned. He was there. Something along those lines. All right. Tochacha, sometimes, speaking of, of rebuke, that's something that you try, sometimes cleverly fold into an afternoon shear. If they're, if they're paying attention, maybe they'll pick up on it. But sometimes they don't. Okay, so and we say, Hamevin Yavin, Aryeh, and then Zach. Um, do you think that the problem they had with their wives back then can be compared to the feminist problem they had? <laughs> oh, you want to say the feminist problem, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, different problems, different generations. Uh, if you want to say that whatever the fad FAD of the world is out there today, that it infiltrates and so on, and because women don't have a primary um, uh, mitzvah of Talmud Torah, so then they don't necessarily always get the same spiritual instruction, so sometimes they're susceptible and more open to whatever the uh, bad influences of the world around them are going to be. That's, of course, the whole reason we're going to learn about Sarah Schneer and her remarkable Beis Yaakov innovation, the whole system of school. You know, it was, it was it, when she started Beis Yaakov, people think of Beis Yaakov as this, uh, as this uh, you know, very, very from, as it is, organization. But once upon a time, it was condemned as being a radical modern innovation. She's one of the liberals, one of those crazy uh, crusading feminists. That's what they, that's, that's what they saw at Sarah Sher. Because nobody ever had a formal system of learning for women before. That was a new thing. But she said, she said, and the Chaim supported her as the Gera Rebbe and others, if you don't provide the, the women now with an, with an adequate source of Yerash Shemaim in a school setting, our, our girls are going to go off the derrick. They're going to be subject to the influences of the world around us. 
So yeah, on those along those lines, yeah, you, there has to be a mechanism to keeping women from, keeping men from. Not, nothing's simple. Nothing's nothing's easy. So I accept the comparison on that level. Yeah, oh, exactly. You're gonna say yeah. It's true because Solomon is the anglicization, the weird anglicization. I have to admit of the word Shlomo. They are one and the same. They're the same person. No, no. Solomon is just is just the odd translation of the word Shlomo. But easy easy to get confused. So so important. I, I you notice I err on the side of using a lot more Hebrew than English. I don't usually refer to him as Solomon. Uh, I usually refer to him as Shlomo. But they, they they, confused, clearly know. right. So we have to get used to doing that. Usually uh, that, that, that's the reason for that. The uh, anglicized terms are often misleading and incorrect. The um, People themselves were far from idolatry. They had the reason why the people start losing their regard for King Solomon, uh, a.k.a. Shlomo, was because he didn't control his wives better. And they lost respect for him. And now they have little regard left for Rehava, who seems to be walking in, in his father's footsteps along the same lines. So God, you know, it's much like this. It's a good lesson in parenting here. A, a parent who really uh, commands the respect of his kids is somebody who's not somebody who has to be uh, best friends with them and bribe them into loving him. Would you be my friend? I'll buy you a lot of candy. Frankly, a good parent is somebody who does sometimes unpopular things. The things are sometimes strict, but the kids realize, ah, you know, they're doing something that's commendable and respect and admirable. So too, you know, a king who kind of gives in is a little too lenient, lost the respect of their, of their subjects, as was the case of Shlomo, and now especially Rechavam. And, and the people now have had it, and they're fed up, and there's a, there's a, there's a shtickle insurrection that's growing. The people are starting to rise up against Rechavam, and Rechavam, hold the thought for just a, another, another half a minute, um, Rechavam summons the people for a very formidable uh, episode in Shechem. Shechem that figures prominently in this week's parsha. I was zochet to to to, to lean the um, the Torah the, the lech lecha this morning, but we see the first place that Hashem brings Abraham into when he comes into the land, giving a sample of how beautiful Eretz Israel is. Ironically, is the city of Shechem, Shechem, which the Gemara says is mizuman um, lefuranus, which is often designated for bad things to happen. This being one of the famous bad things was about to happen in Shechem, but it's not the first time a bad thing. What else happened in Shechem? In history? Arabs and Dina. Dina, the rape of Dina, what? The Arabs are all there right now. Today, it's true, it's a place of, it's, 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 it's a scary place today. I was Zoha to go there last summer and visit in the middle of the night at Kever Yosef, but not easily. Not something that a Jew can do with any, any ease. Uh, bad stuff happened in Shechem, and we're going to see just now uh, another bad thing to happen, which asks, which begs the question that Mephar should deal with. Why is that the place that Hashem brings Avram to in the very beginning of this week's Parsha, but not for now? <coughs> no, Shechem has something like every place, like every person has something about it. There's something distinct and unique about Shechem. Right, Yerushalayim is distinct in that way, is in different ways. But Shechem has a certain quality that is simultaneously amazing and great, and that's what Hashem is showing. But has a, has a tendency towards bad things happening there. And when Rechavam summons, Rechavam, then Shlomo summons the nation to Shechem, they are looking around for a leader to represent them because they don't accept Rechavam anymore. And they go, they turn to Egypt and they say, Yeravam, come back, we need you. And he rises to the challenge and he comes back. 
And now you have a major confrontation between these two figures, Rechavam, who's a weak king, and Yeravam, who's the minister to the former king, a big Talmud Chacham, and somebody the nation starts to recognize, hey, he could be our, he could be our man, and now think about this psychologically from Yeravam's point of view, he's walking into the dream of his lifetime. You mean me? Power? King? Well, okay, I guess you twisted my arm. Jake, what were you going to ask before? As if we say Solomon in the Arabic. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's the. I don't know. If, I don't know if they get it from this or this get it from that. It's not. It's a linguistic kind of a question. Not sure. By the way, also there's another really bad thing that we skipped that happens in Shem. What else happens in Shem? That's of a whole chain of events. Think in the Torah. Come on. Not only Dina's. What happens to Dina? You know this. You all know this. You may not realize it. No. No. But after, shortly after Dina's the episode with Dina. So a big a big sale takes place. A sale takes place. There's a big sale in Shrem. Get your free. Get your servants. We got a. We got a. We got a young, 17-year-old boy here. He goes for a good price. The sale of Yosef. Shrem. Yeah. Right. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Also, in this, in this, uh, the uh, the Maharal notes that the greater. How do we reconcile Shrem then? The greater the potential for kedusha, the greater the potential for the opposite. Track and notice this pattern in history. We're going to see things that are of a profound uh, level of kedusha and goodness and holiness that it simultaneously have that a capacity to turn rotten in the most extreme way, kind of like Klal Yisrael. Does anybody have that piece of paper? Kind of like Klal Yisrael. You notice that with Klal Yisrael, we have the greatest potential for Kedusha, but at, among other human beings, we have the greatest potential for Tuma. Non-Jews don't have the same Tuma capacity the Jews have. There's a similar pattern going on there. Now, Notice this too, we're, I'm not going to slide into this tangent, we're going to see this soon enough, but some of the worst villains in all of history beget in their progeny some of the greatest heroes in all of Jewish history. And it's a similar insight. From the, the opposite extremes beget opposite extremes. And that sometimes from extreme evil comes extreme goodness. But more on that later. Just note that, note that as a pattern. What's that? Moab begets David Amelech. Yeah. You want to say like that? What was the other example? Achashverus comes from? No, you don't mean Achashverus. Achashverus, B'nai Haman learned Torah in B'nai Brach, Gitin tells us. Isn't that wild? We'll talk about that later. All right, let's, let's get back. That's what you think. That's what you think. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but also the opposite. Uh, from the greatest good comes uh, kind of some of the best. Sometimes. Sometimes that's true, too, in both directions. You, you know how I think about this insight? What's the opposite of love? Now, that was the obviously wrong answer that can't possibly be right because I would ask the question in the first place. So the opposite of love is actually not hate. What's the opposite of love? Apathy. Indifference. Because love is a very strong emotion. It's actually very close from love to get to hate. That's why you see often in marriages a love-hate relationship. They experience profound, intense emotion that can easily maneuver from one to the other. Apathy, indifference, that's really the opposite. I don't care. Do whatever you want. 
That's really the opposite. So, so too, since love and hate are actually close neighbors, so too goodness and evil are actually very close neighbors. More on that later. Rechavim's in, in Shrem, and he's deciding strategically what his, um, what his strategy should be for war, and he gets advice from the elders, from the Skanim, who was really the Sanhedrin, who said, Rechavim, be careful. Do not push the people too far. If you make heavy demands, they'll rebel. But he gets other advice. This is a very famous bit. He gets other advice from some younger advisor, advisors. Yeah, his friends. And they say quite the opposite. They say, no, are you kidding? Rechavam, you're the king. You don't have to take this from anybody. You start to burden them. You tax them and do anything you want. The people are just testing you. If you don't rise to the test, they're going to get you and they're going to overcome you. And he accepts this latter advice of the younger, inexperienced advisors, and he tells the nation, it's a very famous posuk, you know what? Tell you what. Avi Yisarischem Bashotim, my father, he afflicted you with whips. Va'ani Ayaserischem Bakrabim, I'm going to whip you with scorpions. I'm going to, you think my father was tough? You haven't seen anything yet, people. And he comes at them with threats and with bravado. Later on, he'll regret his harsh words, and he said, yeah, the people do not take it well at all. He realizes, maybe I should have listened to the elders, but it's a little too little, a little too late. He sends a messenger back to retract the message, and the people respond by killing the messenger of the king, which is not what you're supposed to do. Never kill the messenger of the king of Israel. And it's at this point that these tribes, most of the Jewish people, we call, we're going to call from now on the northern tribes. It's nine and a half tribes. They formally make a decision. We have had it with the corrupt monarchy of the house of David. We're breaking away from Rehavam. We're crowning, we're coronating a new king by the name of Yeravam. And, and, and they basically, this is grounds for civil war. Rechavah has a thought, maybe he'll go and fight them. Hashem gives him the prophecy. He does not want a civil war. And very much to his, to his credit, against his inclination, Rechavah backs down. Okay, I'm not going to fight brother against brother. I'm not going to make a civil war. I'm going to go back to Yerushalayim. Yehuda, now you can look at your maps. Yehuda, and then the tribe of Binyamin, next to Yehuda, remain loyal to Rechavah in the south. Together with the other various Levim and the Kohanim who are living spread out as they do, because remember the Levim don't have their own portion of land, they're living in the south. So those tribes remain in the southern kingdom that we're heretofore going to refer to as Mamleches Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda. That's why, well, one second, and the tribe of Yehuda and then the, the, the kingdom of Yehuda. And the rest of Klal Yisrael goes to the north. It's called Memleches Yisrael. It's the, why do I say nine and a half? It's not really a full ten. It's the nine other tribes, counting Ephraim and Menashe as separate tribes, plus not really half, but whoever among Levi is up there in the north. So that's why, you know, they refer to the ten tribes, but it's really nine plus whoever of Levim are there in the north. They will secede from the union, as it were. And um, there is a thought. You, you realize how devastating this is. Klal Yisrael, by definition, think of the name. Klal Yisrael, we are Yisrael only as a Klal. When we break apart, we are at our weakest. 
And we see that throughout history, we needed as a prerequisite to Matan Taira, to the receiving of the Torah, complete unison. As we said, Ishachad, Belevachad, each man as one. And now that we've been split, it's devastating. Um, think about this as a history question. Maybe you know this. When are we called an Am Mifuzar or Mifurad to our great peril and detriment? Who accuses us of being a split up, scattered nation and says, Haman, excellent. Haman in the Megillah says they're an Am Mifuzar Mifurad and he sees that as our Achilles heel and based on that he's going to attack us and he almost does. He almost commits genocide because we were scattered and now we're broken, broken apart. Some retain the hope that Maybe we'll, we'll reunite, but what happens now is there are battles and skirmishes between Yeravam and Rehavam. Yeravam in the north, Rehavam in the south, and they dash any hope that there's going to be an immediate reconciliation and unification of Klal Yisrael, at least for some time. Barak and then are you? Yeah, but, yeah, but isn't it only technically in that tribes? Because I thought Judah swallowed up one of the tracks. Shimon. Shimon. Right. Shimon is, but if you do your math, you'll realize it really comes out. If we have, um, if we have those, let's say, if you want to count Shimon, it's three and a half in the south, plus nine and a half in the north, in the north, what do you really have? You have 13. Yeah, and we're counting Levi yeah. together with the Ephraim and Menashe, that's 13. That's why, yeah. That's how you get nine and a half. All the wrong things. Remember, we gave him credit for things. He made a couple of critical disaster decisions, huge mistakes. Especially saying, especially that line about "I'm going to whip you with scorpions." Yeah, right. That was a, as we say, a full paw. Right. So, if he's from the house of Dava, which is supposed to be the leaders of the Jewish people for all eternity, and he's this guy, it seems like 30 percent of the house of Dava was terrible. He's not terrible. Rechavim's not terrible. He's flawed. As a human being, as we all are human beings. David himself was flawed. There's certain, there's certain mistakes you just don't make. Well, like he did. We're going to meet far worse in the Davidic line. Most of the, most of the kings of, of the Davidic line, we call the Malchai Yehuda, the kings of the south of Yehuda, are actually in many ways great people. We're going to meet several... Big, big tzaddikim still. Asa, Yehoshaphat, Chizkiyahu, Yoshiahu, and others. Um, but, oh, well, Yehoash, Yehoash, hold, hold off. Yes, and very definitely no, as, we, as we'll see. But, um, but some of them were despicable, including arguably the worst of the, well, how do you compare, but get down to Menashe and Yehoyakim and Yehoyachim, they're the pits. And, and so it, you have to use the insight that we said. The closer you get to greatness in Kedusha, the greater uh, capacity a person has for evil too. We'll see both mixed in. Just because you, you're born into the Davidic line doesn't mean it's automatic goodness. We're all have freedom of choice be, here. Which means you're a good leader and know how to actually In theory, but not always in practice. Okay, so welcome to humanity. That's what it is to be part of the physical flawed world. Even as part of the House of David. Yeah, now, your oven's got a problem. Next, next, the plot thickens. See, Ein Yeshiva Ba'azara Ele based David Bilvad. The only people who can sit in the capital, the eternal capital of the Jews of, uh, in, in Yerushalayim, in the Azara, that's in the central courtyard of the base of Mikdash, since I have my picture book, I can, I can show you approximately, well, here, let's, let's even refer to this 
model. This is the Azara that we're talking about, right? This is the uh, in the inner area outside the actual building of the base of Mikdash. Um, the king would sit there at certain important times. And the only person who can do that is specifically, halachically, from the house of David. And he's been dactic in halacha, and he's not going to violate halacha, something so obvious and clear cut. And that's his problem. Because now it's coming on Sukkot time, folks. It's time for Aliyah the Regal. We've got to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The Jews are still on a very high level, even the northern tribes. They're from, they're medactic in mitzvos, and they're going to come to Yerushalayim. And the only one, according to Halacha, who can rightly sit in the Azara <coughs> is Rechavah himself. Yeravam is going to be, Yeravam is going to be the other. People get confused in this class because Rechavam and Yeravam sound the same. You got it, you got it down, you know who's who? Yeravam's, Yeravam's in the north, Rechavam's in the south, Rechavam ben, ben Shlomo. So Rechavam will be sitting both, appropriately, Yeravam will be on the outs. How can both kings be in the base of that's exactly his problem. They aren't going to both be. Rehavim is going to emerge in everybody's eyes embarrassingly for Yeravim. He's going to emerge as the true king. And as such, not only will Yeravim be up, will be stood, you know, outshone and upstaged, but he fears that actually people may kill him. Because they'll look around and say, hey, there's only one authentic king. It's Rehavim. What are we even thinking following Yeravim? I left out this detail, by the way. There's, there's a smooth piece in there earlier on when they come to Yeravim. And they say, be our king. He says, oh, no, I'm not worthy. Talk about false modesty, right? He says, oh, no, not me. And they say, no, no, you have to be. He says, well, okay. He comes around to it. Uh, it's the dream of his lifetime. But now he fears that it's going to be taken away from him. So he does his last act of iniquity, one of the most significant, tragic decisions come to by anybody in history. It, yeah, well, but it's, it has an immense impact on, on us till today. He decides and he uses piety as a pretext, meaning he says, for from Kite reasons, he says, there's a, there's a problem we have now. He says, Hashem is displeased with the house of David, and we can't show them, because Rehavim such a such so such a Russia, we can't show them any respect. We cannot go to Yerushalayim anymore. It's forbidden, he says. And he says this is part of his, he's giving a sheer klali in yeshiva. And he says, and now Hashem is telling us we cannot go to Yerushalayim. And towards that end, he sets up on the borders between the north and the south. Picture your map here. Between the north and the south, he sets up all along the borders between these two nations now, guards. And the guards now, by threat of death, um, threaten anybody you are not allowed if by because you're if by doing so you're rebelling against the king which you're not allowed to do you cannot go through these borders and therefore Aliyah Regal is nullified no more going down for any of the northern Jews of Yerushalayim there's, a, there's an attempt to resist this becomes a whole massive controversy but effectively and we'll talk about how, how he managed to, 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 to smooth this over um, Without traffic, effectively, traffic ceases between the north and the south. Yerushalayim, which is the eternal central capital of Klal Yisrael, no longer, at from this point on, serves that function. On the day that he appointed the guards, the Gemara tells us, Romulus and Remus found the city of Rome. So you see these like, critical junctures when Shlomo married Basparo, Rome started. Now, a uh, generation later already, when Yeravam 
uh, when Yeravim sets this in motion, when he puts the guards up, um, that's exactly when Romulus and Remus found the city of Rome. The guards will remain with a couple of exceptions. It seems that Yeravim's son may have gotten around, or maybe grandson may have gotten around the guards. Uh, there's, a, there's some intrigue around that story. But effectively, the guards will be posted and will remain all the way until the last king of the north, Hoshea ben Allah, is king. He'll remove the guards. He'll be the first of the northern kings to remove the guards, but up until then, they are a permanent fixture, and therefore there's no unity in Kuala Yisrael. Are you in the Jake? So I should have uh, two questions. Be brief, though. All right, so first question. Is it that Yeravam did this, setting up all the guards and putting up like, the worship sites all along the border and stuff? It was a power way? ploy to save face. If he didn't, he would have lost, he thought he would have lost, and reasonably, uh, that he would have lost his, his position as new king in the north. But is that why he's like one of the guys who just kind of stays in hell forever? Ein mochelech lamabaz is the more elo- elegant way of uh, Chazal's phrasing it. Yeah. So, all right, uh, and second thing? That's not the only reason. Um, we, we, there's one more yeah, really, really terrible thing that we haven't gotten to the Yerubim does. So yeah, just, you know, stay, hold, hold on to your seats, folks, because right. we haven't seen nothing yet. Going yeah. No, the, the, the expression in Chazal, you can take it literally, but they mean something much deeper than that. They say that the seeds of Klai Yisrael's destruction is sown by sins of individual people all along the way. And we're supposed to take Musr from such a thing and realize our actions have sometimes indirect impact on the way the world works. And we don't realize that. I mean, particularly, what goes on in Eretz Israel, in Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh, every single day, has a huge impact. If you struggle with Yitzhahara, but let's say hypothetically you were part of a group of people that was striving to daven Shachri Stark, and you had a special mitzah, a special contest, to get up and daven Shachris in the morning, just hypothetically, clearly, I'm just not speaking to anybody in particular, um, right? And you were, to, you, were, you were meant to do that, and you actually got up and daven Shachris. It's not just a victory for you personally, which it is, and it's not just a victory for your class, which it is as well. You've actually impacted the entire world simultaneously, and you don't always perceive that. Right? That's how we should look at our actions in life. You got that? Okay. Okay. Wasn't there a thing that you and on the journey to the... So that people would go. Yeah. That's going to be next. That's coming soon. Well, you're, you're ahead of me. I you that. You're ahead of me. All kinds of agarita that I didn't include in our discussion, but yes. You did, you did say that. What did I say? That it. That then that was it. Gabriel, the angel. Gabriel came and planted a reed in, the, and, and then slime grew around it and eventually formed the area where Rome will be built. Now, a generation later, Remus and Romulus will formally build the city. It's made the volcanic island. The whole thing Oh, so you want to you want to give some kind of scientific, geographical, yeah. geological explanation that coincides? Could be. I'm not one to deny it. I, I wouldn't use that as a proof, but it's certainly it's certainly compelling. Yeah, Aaron. Would you halakhically? Interesting. What a what a great question. I mean, it's all it's it's completely theoretical. But would a person be allowed to kill one of those guards? I, I think you might be able to make such an argument because the guards themselves are, you know, as the king is 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 considered a um, a, a, a somebody who's an inciter. 
to uh, to evil, and no. as such, I don't know, kill them, but certainly thwart them. Maybe kill them. No, even, no, yeah. no, 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 but even worse though, if you try to do this, they'll go and kill you. And then right, right. So, right, right, right. So, right, right, right. It sounds like you're on to something. Um, now, Yeravam, with all of his with all of his bad acts, he doesn't stoop so low as to be an idolater. He still believes in Hashem. He still loves Hashem. He's still a Tamil Chacham. And it's the, the, the next and really last significant terrible thing that he does was not an attempt to build a Vodazara, but he realizes if you cut Yerushalayim and the base of Mikdash out of the life of the Jews, you have to replace it with something. And he realizes he can't have one central place. He needs at least two that will keep the Jews rallied around a cause and a purpose and connected to Hashem. And he thinks, well, what do we have? What figure did the Klal Yisrael build in the past that was a rallying figure for serving Hashem? I know, in the Midbar, when they felt that they were bereft of Moshe as a leader, they built, and the Ramban explains, not idols, they built a, an Egel Azahab, a golden calf, as a way to connect to Hashem. Give them the old-time religion, I'll build. Not one, but two golden calves. Egle Zahav. I'll build one. I'll build one in the far north. Look at your maps. In the far north in Dan, so that Jews in the north have, have easy access. And one further south in Betel. Two golden calves. No, but he rationalizes it. Too. He rationalizes it. He says that the, all of the problems based on uh, our own. And, uh, right, Arun did this. Right, he completely worked out. Yeravim is a big Talmud Chacham. He can do things like this. The Gemara Shabbos says the day Yeravim made these calves, a hut was built to grow into Italia Shalyavan. So the variation, if you take all these literally, they don't quite pan out together. But you hear the idea. Yet another act that, that sows the seeds of evil. Wait, wait, what hut? Italy. 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 Okay. Fine. Okay. Yeravim violated many Torah prohibitions. He built, he built <coughs> solemn um, idols, uh, not, not, um, objects. He used non-Kohanim non as priests. He celebrated um, Chag in the eighth month instead of the seventh month. He built Bamos outside of Yerushalayim to name some of them. Again, never actual idolatry itself even though his uh, later kings of the north would do so. Um, it, uh, the Redak says it did not start as idolatry. It only grew later into it, kind of like, remember the aphod that Gidon built? Was initially, was a neutral object that became the object of, uh, later on, the, the object of Avodazara. The Doros, there's a big uh, machlokis about how to understand these generations. According to a historian who wrote a book called the Doros Rishonim, these psukim are an exaggeration when it's said that they worship the idolatry. All it means is, like we said before, it's like somebody who rebukes um, an angry man. Oh, you idolater, because you're angry. Using an exaggerated, inflated language, but it's not actual idolatry. Or referring to somebody who steals from the poor as a, as a murderer. It's not actually a murderer. He just does something really bad. And you're trying to get that point across. Um, Chazonish, however, feels that there is some... You, you can't take the psukim out of its shot. 
There has to be some idea of idolatry associated. It's a little ambiguity here. But in the same way with the, the thief who stares from the park, yeah. that, that is harder. It can be indirect, yeah, though. It can be thing. indirect. So yeah. how we take this episode, I agree there's different views of this. I don't think in the end of days Yeravim is an actual idolater. Um, he is said in Pirkei Avos, Yeravam ben Nevat chata vehechti esarabim. Not only did he sin, he caused others to sin. And you remember, you know, that's a really hard act to make tshuva for. Because it's very, it's well and good if a person sins and makes tshuva, he can retract what he did. But like the proverbial story that said about the Chavetz Chaim, when he tells the guy to um, make tshuva on Lashon Hara, go take a, a feather pillow and cut it into the wind. You've heard the story before. And now the guy comes back to him and he says, how do I make, what's my next step of tshuva? And the Chavetz Chaim says, go gather all the feathers. And the man says, I can't gather those feathers. They spread into the four different uh, directions of the planet. They're all over the place. Chavetz Chaim says, go retract your words that you said against me. Once you've spoken Lashon Hara, it's out and can't be retracted. More can be said about Avodah Zarah. Once you've incited others to sin, you can make tshuva yourself. How do you repair that which you've made crooked? It's going to be exceedingly difficult. And that's why the sin of the community is attributed to Yeravam himself. And the question is, is how did all the great people that surrounded Yeravam allow him to get away with this? And the answer is, in a story we'll tell tomorrow, he tricked them. As Rosh Hashem to be continued.